So, today we're looking at John chapter 18, verses 1 through to 11, Jesus arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Up until now, in our studies in John's Gospel, we've looked at chapter 1, which essentially introduced the Lord Jesus Christ as God. The Word, who was with God, and who who was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst men. So, chapter 1 is that introduction to Jesus, the Son of God. Then we consider chapters 2 through to 12, which record the earthly ministry of Jesus and which gives details of his miracles. Why? Why do we read about all these miracles? John himself tells us towards the end of his book that these things are uh, recorded that ye might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that ye might have uh, life through his name. So you read about the miracles of Jesus, such as the feeding of the 5,000, and you think about it, and you think, no, no normal person could do these kind, these types of things. And, uh, you don't just move on. And you don't just think, I'm looking forward to a nice cup of tea after the service. You actually do something about it. And, uh, ultimately, these things are written that you trust in Jesus. And you you receive from him forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Then in chapters 13 through to 17, uh, we have a record of Jesus alone with his disciples preparing them for his departure. We spent several weeks looking at the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, where Jesus prayed to his holy and righteous Father for his disciples who were with him at the time, but also he prayed for um, others who would who would trust in him, people like us here today who trust in Jesus. He was praying for you, for me, if you belong to him, if uh, his Father has given you to Jesus. That high priestly prayer was for you and is for you. It's a timeless prayer. Jesus is in heaven and he ever lives to make intercession for his people, his redeemed. We've now reached the final section of John's Gospel, which records details of the arrest, crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What you will not see in this final section are details of the suffering of Jesus in Gethsemane. Although we're going to be reading about Gethsemane this morning, you don't see the name Gethsemane mentioned. You won't read of his suffering. Gethsemane is not mentioned at all. In John's account of Gethsemane, there are no details uh, of Jesus beginning to be sorrowful and being deeply distressed, you would have to look at Matthew's account or Mark's account for that. Also, there's nothing said about Jesus in agony and his sweat being, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. And there's nothing said about an angel appearing and strengthening him. If you want to read about those things, you'll have to look at Luke's Gospel. It's not as if John was unaware of all those things that happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The agony, the sweating of great drops of blood 
falling to the ground, uh, the angel coming to strengthen Jesus. He knew about all that. He was there. He was one of just three apostles who were right there with Jesus. Uh, John was there with his brother James and also Peter. The three of them were there whilst the others uh, stayed back a little bit. So he knew about all of that stuff, but he didn't... Um, he didn't write about those things. As I say, you'd have to look at the other Gospels for that. What you will see coming from John's pen in his account of Gethsemane is consistent with what he he has been writing about throughout his Gospel. The divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is something that comes out very clearly in John's account of Gethsemane. That Jesus is God. When you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, you might consider how different it was to another garden that you can read about in the Bible, the Garden of Eden. In Eden, all was delightful, that is, until Adam's disobedience. But in Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was in agony of soul, was sweat and sweating great drops of blood. And that is because he was just hours away from laying down his life as an atonement for sin on the cross. Let's have a look first of all at John 18 verses 1 through to 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Cedron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples and Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Having finished ministering to his downcast disciples, having prayed for them, Jesus went over the brook Cedron into the Garden of Gethsemane. We needn't conjure up a picture of them wading through that brook up to their knees in fast-flowing water. The brook Cedron would have been dry. Apart from in the winter when the rain would have furnished it with water and it was not winter time. It was the time of the Passover. In other words, it was springtime. Nevertheless, they passed over the book Cedron. Already there was some history attached to the book, the book Cedron going back a thousand years before Jesus crossed over it. Going back to when David was king of Israel, he crossed over that very same brook along with his loyal band of fighting men when his son Absalom stole the hearts of the people and sought to take his father's kingdom from him. David's counsellor, Ahithophel, who was a type of Judas Iscariot, this you see some parallels here, David's counsellor, who was a type of Judas, betrayed him by giving counsel to Absalom, David's son. Anyway, Ahithophel's advice was rejected and he went off and just like the traitor Judas Iscariot, he hanged himself. 
In verse 3, it is written that Judas came to the garden with a band of men. They were Roman soldiers, pagan Roman soldiers, and they were under the command of a captain, as can be seen in verse 12. Just glance over to verse 12. Then the band, that's the band of men from verse um, 3, then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. So, the band of men, they were the Roman soldiers, they had their, they would have had their captain with them. Also, there were officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. In other words, they were the temple police, the Jewish temple police. Perhaps after the fiasco, back in chapter 7, which we'll look at in a moment, after that fiasco, at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, the chief priests and the Pharisees could no longer rely upon their temple police to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ on their own, hence the band of men, or the Roman soldiers, and the captain. Let's just um, keep your finger in John 18. We can look back to John 7, verse 45. The, the temple police have been sent to arrest Jesus and we'll take it from verse 45. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? They'd been sent to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ and they reported back to the Pharisees, the chief priests, without the Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly it wasn't his time then. But now we see them in the Garden of Gethsemane with the heavy mob with them, the Roman soldiers and their captain. It was not a stroke of luck for the traitor Judas Iscariot and the Roman soldiers and the temple police that they found Jesus in the garden. They didn't just stumble upon him. For one thing, as can be seen in verse 2, Jesus had oftentimes come there with his disciples. He would have come there with Judas Iscariot, and Judas knew that. Also, in Luke chapter 21 and verse 37, it is written that in the daytime, Jesus was teaching in the temple, but at night... He went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet, the Mount of Olives. Jesus teaching by day in Jerusalem. By night he retreats to Mount Olivet. Presumably various people, including Judas Iscariot and including other people, his enemies, such as the chief priests and the Pharisees, they would have all known that Jesus retreated to the Mount of Olives at night time and they would have probably considered that like location to be the ideal place to arrest him they wanted to arrest Jesus um, but they were probably very mindful of the reception that Jesus had when he rode on into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey the multitudes greeted him very enthusiastically and supportively and they cried out Hosanna to the son of David Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
they probably figured that it wasn't uh, a good idea to try and arrest Jesus uh, when he was surrounded by a multitude of people. What better place than when he's alone on Mount Olivet? The thing is, in order to get to Jesus on Mount Olivet, they would have most likely gone through the Garden of Gethsemane anyway, and that is because the Garden of Gethsemane is situated at the foot of that mountain. So you've got a couple of things going on here. One thing, um, Judas Iscariot knew that he'd been part of it all, Jesus taking his disciples to the garden, and also everyone was mindful that Jesus went to Mount Olivet in the evening, and to get to Mount Olivet, they would have had to pass through the Garden of Gethsemane. Had Jesus wanted to avoid being arrested, all he had to do was what? Stay away from the Garden of Gethsemane. That would have been, that would have been it. However, that was never going to happen. And that is because what was unfolding was always meant to be. The time had come for precisely what we see happening here. Jesus' time had come. Let's have a look at verses 4 through to 6. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. Or I am. In the original Greek, it's just I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am, they went backwards and fell to the ground. Jesus was actually made known to his captors, not just in the way that we read of here, but there was another way as well. Jesus was made known to his captors by two ways. There was a prearranged kiss from Judas Iscariot, and details are given of that in Mark chapter 14, verse 43 through to 46, where it is written, And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. You get that information in Mark chapter 14. However, what we see here in John chapter 18 is Jesus taking the matter out of the hands of his betrayer and he made it known to the soldiers that he was the one whom they sought. First of all, Jesus said, Whom seek ye? In verse 5, it is written that they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am, or I am he, we have written, but it's I am. 
by taking the matter out of the hands of Judas Iscariot, Jesus was himself surrendering himself to the captain. We can assume that the captain was at the front of it all. He wouldn't have been right at the back. In fact, it's very, very reasonable to assume that the Roman soldiers would have been right at the front. They were in charge, not the temple police. The Romans were in charge. They would have been at the front, there several hundred of them, with their captain, and behind them, the temple police, the Jewish temple police. But Jesus took the matter out of the hands of Judas, surrendered himself to the captain, and beyond that, he was surrendering himself to the cross, where he would have volunteered, where he voluntarily laid down his life as a sacrifice for sin. As Jesus said concerning his life in John chapter 10 and verse 18, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. It's not because Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, gave me a kiss and betrayed me. It's because I laid down my life. Look at the response when Jesus said, I am confirming that he was the one whom they sought. In verse 6, it is written that they went backward and fell to the ground. Again, you've got to keep remembering, we're not talking about 10 maybe people, uh, 10, 20 people. We are talking about hundreds of soldiers and temple police. Position behind, well, uh, I've said all that. There's nothing in verse 6 to indicate that only some of them went backwards and fell down. It doesn't say that. Let's have a look at verse 6 again. As soon then as they, as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backwards and fell to the ground. We would have to assume that all of them did this. All of them, all those hundreds of Roman soldiers, the temple police and the captain, went backwards and fell to the ground. That must have been a sight to behold. Jesus spoke just two words. I am. Or in Greek, ego emi. Or ego emi, sorry. And all those hundreds of big tough guys went backwards and they fell to the ground. That ought to tell you very clearly who was actually in control of the situation there. It most certainly was not the captain. It most certainly was not the Roman soldiers. And it most certainly was not the temple police. It most certainly was not Judas Iscariot. It was Jesus who was manifesting his divine power. Jesus said just two words. And they all went backwards and fell to the ground. He could have easily escaped at that time. He could have easily, when they fell to the ground, walked off and gone. But he didn't. He could have easily destroyed every single one of those men. But he didn't. And that's because his time had come. The time had come for him to suffer and to bleed and to die as the substitute sin bearer. How different that all that was to when Jesus fed a great multitude with just five loaves and two small fishes, 
after he did that, people tried to make him king. They'd seen what he did and they tried to make him king at that time. But Jesus got away from them and he uh, he went alone onto a mountain. But this is very different now. Instead of getting away from them, he surrendered himself to be crucified. Let's have a look at verses 7 through to 11. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, Of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father had given me, shall I not drink it? Again Jesus said to the soldiers and the temple police, Whom seek ye? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And again Jesus said, I am. However, this time Jesus also said, If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. Again we see that Jesus was in charge of the situation. There were no pleases or anything. It wasn't a polite request. You can take that as a command from Jesus to let them go their way. He was, de- he was commanding them with divine authority to let his apostles go. Sure enough, the soldiers obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that they, I'm not necessarily saying they knew exactly what was going on. They, they, they didn't know. They, they were pagan Romans. I'm not suggesting anything that they knew everything about the divinity of Jesus. But what I am saying is Jesus, who is God, he spoke and he was obeyed. It's as simple as that. He spoke with divine authority. You know, people, they get carried away with the fact that he said, I am. I am, he's saying that he's Jehovah God and then and, and, and suddenly all these pagan soldiers would have understand, understood that. I don't believe that for one moment. Those two words, I am, they appear hundreds of times in the New Testament. You have to look at the context. You have to look at context. Very clearly, it's the very fact that Jesus spoke And it's how he spoke and with that divine authority. And that, because he is who he is, they they went backwards, they fell to the ground and they obeyed him when he commanded them to let his apostles go. You would have expected that they would have at the very least pounced on Peter. Why? Because Peter took out his sword, typical of Peter, what you might think, impetuous Peter, takes out his sword and he cuts off the ear of who? The, the servant of the high priest, no less. 
So Malchus wasn't an insignificant person. If he was the servant of the high priest, chops off his ear. At that point, you would have expected at the very least that he would have been arrested along with Jesus. But he wasn't. Again, Jesus said um, that, that they, they were to leave them alone let them go their way, and that's precisely what happened. Having already shown his divine authority, the Lord Jesus Christ then showed his grace. In Luke chapter 22, verse 51, it is written that, though, that Jesus touched the servant's ear and healed him. The grace that Jesus extended to Malchus was his last miracle before laying down his life. Put yourself now in the shoes of the apostles for a moment. What would they be left with after they departed from the garden, after they fled? They, they, they had fled when Jesus was arrested. Um, but what would, they have, what would have been their abiding memories of the Garden of Gethsemane? For years to come, in fact, they saw the divinity of Jesus. All those hundreds of tough guys Big tough soldiers falling backwards and falling to the ground. When Jesus said just two words, I am, boom. They all went over. (coughs) And also, they would have seen the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ towards Malchus. And that sums Jesus up, doesn't it? His divinity and his grace. And they saw that in the garden. Also, they would have known that Jesus loved them right to the very end. As ever, the good shepherd's love, his concern was for his sheep. And that same sacrificial love would be seen the very next day at the cross, at a time when Jesus was hanging upon that wooden cross, dying. And even then... He made arrangements, he made provision for his mother Mary, committing her to the disciple whom he loved. I think you or I, if we were dying some uh, terrible death, we'd be thinking about ourselves a little bit then. Jesus, he always was thinking of his people, his sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep and he loved them to the end. There never was any question of the soldiers arresting those apostles either. As it is written in verse 9, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, of them which thou gavest me, I have lost none. What lay ahead was for Jesus alone. He alone would drink the cup of sin. He alone would be nailed to a wooden cross and lifted up to die. He alone would be wounded for the transgressions of all whom his holy and righteous father had given him. People like you and like me. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. Amen.